great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies I see and me sing it. Oh, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I Somebody thank the Lord for his faithfulness. Hallelujah. 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 Joshua uh, Judges chapter 2. I will begin with verse number 6. Judges chapter 2, beginning with verse number 6. I will read down through verse number 6. 12. Maybe we should sing Let It Rain. <laughs> Judges chapter 2, verse number 6. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. They kept serving the Lord who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timonath Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all the generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt followed their gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them 
and provoked the Lord to anger. I want to preach to you by the help of the Lord tonight. And I do need your help tonight. I exerted a lot of energy preaching this morning. And you got to keep praying with me about this allergy cough that I have going on. I need the help of the Lord fighting my throat. But the Lord's going to help us get through it. Amen. I want to preach to you for a little while tonight from the subject, an inferior generation. An inferior generation. Would you pray together with me right now? Father, we need your help tonight. Lord, there's no way that we can possibly do what you've called us to do or ask us to do. And Lord, there's no way that we can minister and preach what you have laid upon our heart to preach tonight to this people without your anointing and without your help. Your word's been anointed from the beginning of time, but your servant now, Lord, desires your help calls on you, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Ghost to rest upon us. Lord, we do pray for your help and your assistance. Let the word of the Lord rest upon every heart and every mind, every spirit, young and old alike tonight, to receive the word of the Lord with gladness. Let it settle deep into our spirit, God. We may never forget the things you have done for us and where you're taking us to. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. He was born Frank Lincoln Wright, changed his name to Frank Lloyd Wright. He was an American architect, an interior designer, a writer, an educator, who designed more than a thousand structures and completed more than 532 construction sites. Wright believed in designing structures that were in harmony with humanity and the environment, and so he, he designed some incredible some incredible homes and buildings that set the standard for the future. It was a philosophy that he called organic architecture that he put in place, which was to not harm the environment, but to build in and around and through the environment and to develop something that was breathtaking. His philosophy was best exemplified in 1935 when he built his home that was called Falling Water. It had been called his best work of all time, of all American architecture. Wright was a leader of the movement of architecture, and he developed concepts that were years in front of his time. His developments in those days looked like the modern architecture of today because today's architecture has been designed and developed after his work. His work included original and innovative examples of many building types. He built offices and churches and schools and skyscrapers, hotels and museums and homes alike. Wright also designed many of the interior elements because he wanted everything to work together such as the furniture and the stained glass. He was a writer of 20 books and many articles that were popular and he was a popular, popular lecturer in the United States and Europe. He was one of those guys that excelled and exceeded in everything that he did. He was one of those guys we love to hate. His, color, his colorful personal life often made headlines, most notably in 1914 when his work actually affected 
the, out, the, the absolute world of American Institute of Architects. Frank Lloyd Wright's son, John Lloyd Wright, followed his father with incredible inventions. He watched the work of his father and he developed and designed something that was going to affect the world much like his father. Except while his father's architecture was able to be lived in, worked in, and worshipped in, Lloyd's environment was now of a different type. John Lloyd Wright's invention was outstanding and he felt that he owed it the gratitude of his design and development and developments to his father and so he named them after his father's middle name and thus came the design of the product that you and I know today as Lincoln Logs. Here ladies and gentlemen is a story of one generation being satisfied with tiny versions of the previous generation's great wonders. I am speaking to this congregation tonight, both young and old alike, because we need some young men and young women and young people who are not satisfied with mom and dad's experiences and grandpa and grandma's experiences, but they want to get this thing for themselves. And they don't want to create some toy version of church and sit aside in some back room with a few colored lights and say, we had youth church, but they're determined to have an apostolic move of the Holy Ghost like generations before. Joshua had led Israel through the conquest of Canaan. And now they possessed a land. While Joshua's generation lived, the memory of God's mighty works in their midst remain, and they worshiped God. Joshua's generation could have been called the greatest generation of their time because they were a people who knew the works of God and they worshiped God for His mighty works and His mighty power. Theirs was a generation who, by God's grace, had defeated the Amalekites. They had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. They had seen the walls of Jericho come falling down from whom even that generation, the sun, stood still. What an incredible generation that had seen the mighty powers of God. There was a generation that had seen God's wonders and work. But how sad the story is that when Joshua's generation died off, so did the memory of those who had given them so many victories. This generation whom God had been so faithful to had spawned a generation that was completely uh, unfaithful to Him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I bring you a message tonight that if we are not careful, we will raise up a generation to follow that will not hear the stories of apostolic culture. 
They may hear one or two times about what used to happen and the way it used to be. But somewhere down the line, I fear if we're not careful as an apostolic movement, we will reach a point that the generations that follow are, that there will be one generation that will come that will not know the Lord and will not know of His mighty works. I implore you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, to pull your children aside and share with them the stories about what God has done in previous generations. If my parents ever did anything right, they pulled me aside on a regular basis. And every night when we would go to God in prayer, my dad would always share a story with me of God's provision and how God always came through and how God always made a way out of no way. And thus in me, he imparted something that got deep into my spirit that I could never walk away from. Not because I want to live on dad's experiences or my great-grandfather's experiences, but I come tonight because I live in a generation that hungers after real apostolic moves of the Holy Ghost that I can share with my children and my grandchildren when they get there and tell them not what I saw but tell them what I experienced. I refuse to let my generation be known as a generation that knew not God or knew not His works and I refuse to pastor a young generation that do not know the works of the Lord. Young men and young ladies, you've got to know this thing for yourself. You've got to experience it for yourself. Joshua, Judges chapter 2 said there was a people in Israel who did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the idols. They abandoned the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods. From among the gods of the people who were around them, they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. Let me break this down for you and share with you what the scripture is saying in real simple lingo, if I may. Let me speak to these young men and young ladies on this first three or four rows today. Can I tell you that what happened was that they they absolutely allowed the peer pressure of the generation and the area that they were living in to begin to press upon them until they began to act like the generation of people that they were around. God did not call you to fit in but God called us to stand out he said come out from among them saith the Lord and be ye a separate people never bow your head in shame never walk away in shame and say well I'm one of them that attend that church over there you need to get a hold of this thing for yourself and understand that what God has given you and what God has privileged you to be part of is something you need to get for yourself so that you can tell your personal story I once was lost in sin but Jesus reached down and brought me out Their parents were a strong and courageous generation that led a nation into the land that God had promised them. They conquered the inhabitants of the land, leaving nothing in their wake. Perhaps they were just too busy defeating foreign armies to remind their children that it was the Lord who fought for them. Can I speak to moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas? 
that we fail, that we not ever reach a point that we fail to understand that every victory and everything that we are and everything that we have is a product of the blessings of God. Can I implore you today that when you tell your story, when you share with your children and grandchildren the stories of what God has done, don't ever put yourself and your education and your talents and your abilities at the forefront and make life about who you are, what you are, and what you're able to do. But let it always magnify the Lord who has given you we are what we are by the grace of God. They were at ease dwelling in cities that they had not built and eating fruit from vineyards that, and olive orchards that they did not plant. It's not that Joshua's generation intentionally dropped the ball. They didn't forget what the Lord had done for them. They forgot to tell the next generation what God had done for them. They weren't purposeful about passing on their stories to their children. Can I preach to us for a few minutes tonight and declare to us that if we're not careful, we will teach our children how to get good educations and how to handle finances. And we'll teach them about relationships, but we will leave God out of the equation. We'll tell them how to save, but not how to give. We'll teach them not how to learn, but not how to pray. We'll teach them how to socialize, but not how to fast. Oh, I fear, ladies and gentlemen, if we're not careful. Somebody said it right when they said we're only one generation away from extinction. But this preacher's come to this pulpit tonight to declare that if I can do anything about it, this generation that God has put on our shoulders and that has given us, that we're not going to allow them to slip away. I've watched too many generations of young people raise up and get in their older teens and 20s and fail God and walk away from the church but I am determined by the help of the Lord that I can get a hold of some young men like Nate Dalton and like Cameron Hopper and that I can say to them, young 20-year-old men, serve the Lord. He's been good to me. He's been faithful to me. He'll be faithful to you. It's the best life you can live. Don't walk away from truth. Don't give in to peer pressure. Joshua's generation wasn't intentional about destroying what God had blessed them with. They just failed in their instruction to the next generation. Which leads me to my point that we're going to have to be intentional about telling our children and grandchildren about what God has done for us. How long has it been? Since we pulled out the word of God and taught them, I thank God. I'm not patting myself on the shoulders tonight and patting myself on the back tonight. But I thank God that I had a dad that I never remember. I, I, I remember washing dishes when I was so small. I had to stand in a chair. And I'm sure my mom went back and washed them after I got through. But we did chores in our house. My kids would have loved to be raised up in my house. Because my wife and I never were very good about that. But my dad, would he, would he would reward me 
And he'd give me a dollar or two dollars. And when he would give it to me, he'd say, Now, son, you got to pay your tithe. And I didn't understand about tithing, but he sat back and told me, he said, let me tell you, let me tell you something, son. You can't outgive God. Because when you give back to God what already belongs to Him, you are, you are setting yourself up for the blessings of God in your future and in your life. And so he would hand me that $2 and he'd say, now you got to pay your tithing. And he would help me learn how to count. I, I, I tell you, I believe that the reason that I was always successful in math was because at a very young age, my dad taught me how to count money and figure tithing. Maybe it was a blessing of being raised in a preacher's home, but as a child, I grew up learning what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to be obedient. I thank God today that the principle of giving and tithing was placed into my life as a child and that I grew up never knowing that there was a possibility, there is no way possible that I'm going to go without paying my tithing or giving in the offering. You know why? Because I have learned. I, I was a young man and now I'm a little older and I've watched the blessings of God develop and grow in my life and I have watched what God has done in my life and, and, and how that I'm blessed beyond measure and I have things that I don't deserve and I'm able to experience things that I don't deserve and I have health when other people are unhealthy and I God has blessed me with so many things. I have three kids that are still alive and living in, in our home and serving the Lord. God has been good to me. God has blessed me and I wanted to raise up my children to understand not to not. There's no way you can outgive the Lord. I heard about one of our young people last week who worked all week got their paycheck turned around and said I'm going to pay somebody another young person's way to go to camp and they turned around and gave everything that they had made that week to send another young person to camp don't think God is not going to give back to them in measure that is pressed down shaken together and running over come on grandma and grandpa and mom and dad we need to have a story I love it I got a little place and you know I got a little place that I keep them when Sister Cheryl comes in with a tithing envelope and it's got 20 cents in it and it's got one of our children's name written on it. I say give me that envelope. It goes into my file because one of these days when I sit down with them in my office and they say pastor I'm struggling. I'm going to reach down and say when you were 6 and 8 and 12 you gave when you didn't have. I once was young and now now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. It's those kind of stories that our children and grandchildren need to hear about God's provision. It's not Joshua's generation that intentionally dropped the ball. They might have hung Joshua's well-known challenge on the walls. Of their homes in Canaan. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Those of you that have been in my house know that my wife goes crazy every now and then. Once a day or two. You walk into my house, there's scriptures all over the walls. She's determined that we're going to have scripture in her house. So she has murals all over the walls and 
she put them in my office and she's got murals, scriptural mural, murals all over the, the house. But you know something? We can have murals all over the house and not get it in our heart and we haven't done anything. We can show up to church on Sunday and shout the victory and shout amen when the preacher's preaching. But if we don't get this thing into the next generation, we are going to fail. I am committed like never before. I read an article this week, copied my wife in on it, and we haven't talked about it. If you haven't seen it, you need to get it and read it. Because about 85% of the church growth is coming from children that are under 12 years of age. God, give us a revival among our Sunday school, among our children's ministry. Hey, last Sunday... I feel the help of the Lord. Last Sunday, right about here, I saw a young man come that God filled with the Holy Ghost. And I saw you, Gentry, right down here, laying hands on him, praying over him with authority and with power. I don't ever lose that. Don't ever let peer pressure cause you to walk away from that. Keep on believing that when you lay hands on them, God will fill them with the Holy Ghost. Get it in your spirit. See what God can do in your life. We're not raising up an inferior generation, but we're raising up a generation that knows how to pray, knows how to fast, knows how to worship, knows how to sacrifice. Oh, somebody give the Lord a shout of praise. Let me preach. Scripture tells us that there was a generation who had been recipients of so much of God's grace and so much of God's blessings, but they raised a generation that did not know the Lord and did not know of His mighty works in Israel. The book of Judges reminds us again and again that when we forget the mighty acts of God, We stop worshiping Him. We fall into sin. And we begin to worship whatever idols are worshipped in our culture. You want to know why kids are following after Bruce Jenner? Because he's being worshipped in this generation. Oh, don't get nervous on me. I'll preach about it if I want to. If I was unpolitically correct, and maybe I'm online and I'll get hate mail from it, but if I was not politically correct to say Caitlyn Jenner, I think that it's probably actually Bruce Jenner. But however you want to look at it, this generation is praising and glorifying and giving away awards two weeks ago for the bravery and courage. Give me a break. Let me tell you who is brave and who has courage. It's young men and young women that are getting ready to go back into their schools in the next two weeks with an apostolic message fired up and says, I'm going to go into my school and I'm going to teach Bible studies. I'm going to meet in Kokomo and in Lafayette and in Frankfurt and wherever else I may be and I'm going to teach Bible studies and bring my friends to the house of God and see them saved. Last year, literally hundreds of Bible studies taught from these young people. You go. We're not raising an inferior generation. We got to do more this year than we did last year. Look at your neighbor and tell them you're not inferior. 
We need a first generation apostolic experience. I feel the Lord tonight. Yesterday, they celebrated 65 years since Sister Vesta and Brother G.A. Mangan rode into Alexandria, Louisiana to start a church. Terry Schock tweeted, Little did the city know that they were going to be a force. They just thought they were getting a young couple to pastor. They didn't know that they were getting a young couple with an axe experience that was going to turn the city of Alexandria and the entire region upside down. Not only did they turn the city upside down, but their ministry and their work and their legacy has affected churches all over the country. One of the most inspiring stories in recent apostolic history comes out of Alexandria, Louisiana by a lady by the name of Vesta Manga. Mangan, who every year knocks every door in her home and invites every person in their city personally to come to church, who has established 24-hour prayer seven days a week, 365 days a year in that church. You want to know why they're having revival because a first generation apostolic experience got in somebody's spirit and they walked into a city and took authority over it and said by the help of the Lord we're going to have revival. At the end of my journey I pray that it's said of me the city of Frankfurt thought he moved there in 1990 to work in a little church and to serve as a pastor. But in his lifetime, a man with a book of Acts experience has turned this city and region upside down. I refuse to allow it to be said of my generation that they are an inferior generation. By the reading, we've had too many of our peers that have walked away from this truth and thrown it in for an inferior doctrine that doesn't have any bite to it and doesn't have any truth to it and doesn't have any power to it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, apostolics. We've got to rise to the occasion and let this generation know we're going to have a first-generation experience. And by the help of the Lord, we're going to raise up a generation with a first-generation apostolic experience. Let me tell you what has set the apostolic movement apart. <clears throat> Following the Reformation, when Martin Luther came forward and the branch of churches that had followed, and along at the turn of the century, when the Pentecostal movement broke forth, and they try to take our roots back there and say that's where it started. My wife and I a few weeks ago were blessed to be able to go to California for two days. Our plane landed the first thing on the agenda. We want to go to Azusa Street. 
We got there, there wasn't much to it. It, wasn't, it was a street about the length of this alley here beside the church. There was one little sign, road sign that said Azusa Street, the birthplace of the modern apostolic Pentecostal movement. I said, they got it wrong, Annette, because Azusa Street wasn't the birthplace. The upper room was the birthplace. And what sets the apostolic movement apart from other denominations is that through the generations, their message has declined. Their experience has declined. And the next generation declines again. Friday night I clicked on a man that has passed on, dead and gone, from another organization that doesn't believe the fullness of truth. And I just wanted to listen for a few minutes as this elder was preaching. And in very sketchy video, because it was new in those days, is they were capturing him as he was preaching to a group of preachers. And he got up and began to preach Without holiness, you're not going to see the Lord. He began to call things out. Things that we don't even preach anymore. That that generation preached against in denominal churches. I told somebody the other day, we've lost the battle over this, and we've lost the battle over this, and we've lost the battle. And I started making a list of things just in my lifetime that we no longer even fight a battle over. We've just given up as preachers and said, go ahead and do it because you're going to do it anyway. We've preached against it, and you do it anyway. And so we, we preached and preached, and we've given up. Here is the problem. What sets the apostolic church apart is that when we go to an altar, repent of our sins and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and are baptized in Jesus' name, we're not receiving a hand-me-down blessing from the generation before. But every generation has the opportunity. I feel the help of the Lord now. Every generation has the opportunity to have a first-generation apostolic experience. Anything less is an inferior generation. Any doctrine that doesn't have a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ is inferior to an apostolic, Holy Ghost-filled generation. My Lord, let it be said of Christian Life Church that we are a people of a first-generation apostolic experience. Let the next generation have a first-generation experience. And the next generation, if the Lord tarries, let us be a a church of first-generation apostolics. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Young people, you got to get this for yourself. Young families, you got to get it for yourself. When they walked away from the experience, they did that which was right among their peers, and they sinned against God. And the wrath of God was turned on them. I don't want to preach all over the, all over the Bible tonight, but I want to close with this idea. In Chronicles, the 12th chapter, Rehoboam 
came and saw what Solomon had done. Solomon was such an incredible leader. He was so powerful. And his wealth that spread around the country. That his soldiers were given shields of gold. But Rehoboam came and it didn't make sense to Rehoboam. Because he wasn't the godly leader that Solomon had been. In 2 Chronicles, the 12th chapter, you can read in your text how that Rehoboam came and he took all, all of the shields of gold and he replaced them with shields of brass. The gold of Solomon's shields spoke of the purity. The shield spoke of faith and a foundation that had been tried in fire. The brass of Rehoboam's shields spoke of the earth. So brass shields speaks of trading in that which is pure gold and heavenly Godly for that which is of the earth, human. And they were to use the shield to guard the king's house. Let me help you. I don't have time to preach this text in its entirety. But let me help you with what I'm trying to get at tonight. Is that Solomon, inspired by God, took a, go- took a golden shield and placed it into the hands of the people that were guarding the king's house. But an ungodly leader came in and placed, took that out of their hand and he took something of humanity and earth. And he placed it in their hand and said, now go guard the king's house. I fear that an inferior generation will lay down a shield of gold and stop depending on the word of God and what God says in God's way. And we'll trade it in for a shield of brass and say, this is what I think. And this is what I've learned. And this is what education has taught me. And this is what my experiences have taught me. And the next generation will know brass to be the common ordinary thing that is guarding the house of God. I come tonight to preach to somebody that needs to go back to the refiner and needs to say, give me back a shield of gold that I may be able to guard the things of the king's house. And I may hold up a shield of gold and not that of brass that I may stand in these last days that my children in the next generation will know that I went to war with a shield of gold not of my own reason and not what makes sense to me but give me a first generation experience that is able to touch heaven in the throne of God I'll reach out to the Lord in prayer right now There is only one way that this generation will be able to survive in these last days. They're going to have to have a first generation experience. 
But they're going to have to stay tied and anchored to grandpa's generation's foundation. Frank L. Wright's personal home known as the House of Falling Water juts impossibly out over a waterfall. Many have looked at it and declared that it was truly an amazing engineering and architectural marvel that it does not affect the flow of water yet it appears that from underneath the house flows a beautiful stream. How could a house built so possibly withstand the test of time? So at their 75th anniversary, they hired architects and engineers to go back and look at the house to see how it withstood the test of time, how it was built, how it was constructed, and what the future for the house looks like because it's getting some age on it. It's getting some battle scars on it. It's getting worn with time. The engineers went to the house of falling water. They spent days and weeks looking over every part of the house. They came back with their final resolve. They said the house looks incredible. It is secure. It should stand for at least another hundred years before it would ever even need another inspection. How so, they ask? What was it about this house that makes it different from all others? They said deep under that house, before it was ever built, in its modern technology and modern design, with the beauty of all the the cutting edge technologies that they core drilled into the bedrock and they went deep into the mountain and they put anchors deep into the mountain and while it may appear on the surface that that house is just sitting out on a rock on a ledge about to fall over indeed it is anchored into a bedrock of a mountain that is unmovable and unshakable I come tonight to present to you that while we may have lights and smoke and we may have modern music and technology and God bless us with whatever we may have, but we must stay anchored into the bedrock that when they come and look over and say, what's the church look like for another hundred years if the Lord tarries? that they come and say, I'm going to tell you about those youth at Christian Life Church. I'm going to tell you about those young couples at Christian Life Church. They've been anchored into the rock. Oh, they've been anchored deep into the rock. There's more to them than smoke and lights. But there is something deep that they are anchored to that's going to propel them into the next generation. They're not inferior. They are a superior generation. With a book of Acts experience, it is going to assure that church into a modern day apostolic revival stand with me lift your hands toward heaven call on the Lord today there was a generation that rose and knew not the Lord nor his mighty works they were an inferior generation but tonight I'm reaching for a group of people that are determined 
to be a superior generation in these last days. Let the world do what it wants to do and go where it wants to go. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Moms, dads, heads of households, you ought to take your family by the hand and lead them to the front of this room if you have to. But everybody that can possibly respond, if you can't all get here around the front and you can't, you ought to at least get in the aisle just to show the devil, I'm going to participate in what's going on tonight because we are going to be a superior family. We're going to be a superior generation. Let them do what they want. Let the world go where it may.